0: You're listening to Angus Underground, featuring insight, opinion, and answers to the questions on everyone's mind. Prepare to be educated, entertained, and empowered with insight, news, and conversation with today's newsmakers. From the well-known to the not-so-well-known. Raise your flag and join the revolution as your hosts, David, Joe, and Corbin, take you underground. Welcome to Angus
1: Underground. I'm David, joined by Joe and our trusted companion Corbin. Hello, guys. What's
2: going on, David? Things in Montana good? You're in the middle of calving now, right?
1: <laughs> Loving life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we we don't calve a lot in the winter, as you know. We're mainly a summer calving outfit, but we've got about a grand total of a half dozen do this late winter, early spring. We call them springs. It's hardly spring around here, though. But uh, yeah, we had our first calf last night. Rather eventful, but uh, we've got a live calf happy mother. Everything's cool. And uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about calving and, and what's in our calving kits. But before we do that, we're going to go ahead and bring in our special guest this evening. Our special guest is none other than uh, Kurt Kangas. He's a regional manager for American Angus Association. And uh, Kurt's a good friend of mine and a uh, great resource. Uh, he's full of knowledge and just a good
3: guy. Come on in,
1: Kurt. How are
3: you? Good, Dave. How are you doing? Thanks for the compliments.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Kurt, I could go on forever, but you've been, as I said, a great resource for us. You lend a fresh perspective to everything that we do here in terms of uh, advertising our product, marketing our product, and you're always willing to share. You know, <laughs> you've got an opinion. That's more than a lot of people have. And uh, we appreciate you for that. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. So, guys, before we start digging into Kurt and uh, we dive in inside the mind of Kurt Kangas, that might be a pretty shallow
3: dive. Don't maybe you want to jump in?
2: <laughs> Wade in, Wade in the shallow end of the pool. Wade
3: in might be a better idea. There's steps on shallow.
1: <laughs> but before we do that, let's. Uh, I know it's calving season for a lot of folks. Uh, yeah, you go on social media. Everybody's got some calves popping out right now, and it's always interesting to find out what is in everyone's
4: calving kit. Corbin, what's in your calving kit? So I guess I should preface everything I say. Whenever we're winter calving, it's a little bit different than what whenever you're winter calving in Montana. And perhaps it's somewhat similar to what Joe does in California, but um, we're calving out on the range. We're out on the grass and, you know, those cows are out in the open. And so the weather is definitely plays a factor. I will say the main component to what we do when we're winning calving, the, the main thing we have is we have a heater in our truck. And so if we see one of those things pop out out there in the middle of the pasture and it's 22 degrees, which is cold for us considering (laughs) it can be 60 degrees during the day. I mean, 22 degrees is quite the shock to one of those new calves, even though, you know, cause it could be freezing rain or terrible weather or whatever. We'll pop them things in the truck and we'll warm them right up and then we'll dry them off and we'll go dump them right back out to their mama. And it's like, boom, right along. And, and there we go. As far as calving out heifers or something of that sort, uh, we try to keep it pretty simple. I've got some calving chains, um, some hooks, a pair of gloves, because pulling those chains whenever you don't have gloves on really freaking kills your hands. And then the only thing that might actually be of some interest to you is there is a product called Orphan No More. And I don't know if any of you guys use it. It's this black sort of powdery substance and Anytime I have to pull a calf and I'm worried about that mama maybe not taking that calf, you just sprinkle this over the calf that's still got the afterbirth on it and that mama will go to licking that that orphan no more often. Generally, in most circumstances, she'll latch right onto that calf and, and you'll be off and running. If you get into a predicament where you don't have any orphan no more Sometimes just like some mixed feed, if you have some grain or whatever, sprinkling it over the top of the calf. Sometimes that'll work just as good. But that Orphan No More is just something that's really handy for me. And it's uh, it's more of a, uh, a last resort. Listen, you go pull a 100-pound calf, the last thing you want to do is worry about that mama taking it. And if you can do something to make the chances of her taking it without you having to do anything better, then that is something you can do. And
2: and I like shortcuts if I can do it. Joe, is there anything in particular that you like to carry around with you? So I got some unique things. Believe it or not, last year I made an investment that was one of the coolest things I've got. It's a calf cradle digital scale component um, that kind of went viral on Facebook. This guy with these black Herefords showed this thing. They just went on the back of a side by side, and in our terrain in our topography, it's not really conducive to use one of these safety zone calf catchers or or anything like that. So we used a lot of spring scales. Then we went to digital scales, and when those things are bouncing around your side-by-side side or your four-wheeler. I just always question how calibrated they are or aren't. And, and, uh, actually I was complaining to Kurt about this one time when he was RRM, and he said, you know, you ought to just grab a feed sack or something and calibrate it every once in a while. And it's kind of shocking when you look into that, what the differences are you could find. And I think that some people get discouraged by that and then go to other methods which we can argue at a different time if they're approved or not. When you said, oh, no, Mo, orphan, no more, oh, no, more, My first experience with that stuff, I'll tell you, I was, I was 16 years old and I was working for my cousin, calving out commercial heifers. Never pulled a calf before in my life. Uh, he used Angus bulls on his heifers, didn't have any problems. Well, his neighbor ran Simmental bulls and uh, Simmental cow bulls, got in with his heifers and um, first calf shows up. And I mean, these feet are huge. So I saddled the horse, went and got her in Went and got my little sister from soccer practice. Little sister's holding the light. Pull the calf. We're out of orphan no more. I didn't know what to do. And uh, so I went home and actually got some of my mother's perfume and sprayed it inside the cow's nose and then (laughs) sprayed it on the calf's back. What? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe she wanted it anyways. I just thought, you know, those two smells get them to correlate and it kind of worked. Thank God, since we've been raising Angus cattle, I haven't had to deal with that. Or maybe that's just a good plug today. (laughs) (laughs) So in my box though, other than the cradle, that's a digital scale, which is super cool. And I'd encourage you guys to look into it. I love it. Even we have in big, big pastures compared to a lot of people, but sometimes on heifers, we'll put them in a smaller area so we could see everybody then move them. As soon as those calves are dropped into another field, you can take that calf, put him in the cradle. I take my pig and string, put a half hitch around the top of the calf and he can't bounce off the top. And that mother will just follow him to the next pasture. I know I can make him pair up and he'll take her, but usually it takes them 24 hours, 36 to do that. And on these fresher calves, we have a, sometimes you want to move them fast when you're dropping 10, 12 calves a day in your heifer pen. I mean, it just creates so many management issues that, that aren't a cow issue, they a management issue. So one of my customers, a guy who, who was working for the 19th largest commercial cow-calf operator in the nation at one time, I saw on his Instagram stories last year, two dog collars in a chain or two years ago like, what in the heck is that? And so I called him up and I said, what are, what are these? And he goes, dude, these are the coolest thing that ever. These are calf hobbles. He said, you need to get yourself a pair. So I made a pair. One of the biggest hits I had on a Facebook live was, was one of our donor cows ball into a twin actually, and she could keep them together. I would actually contend some of the issues that we have with twins sticking together. Aren't the mother wanting them. It's the two calves sticking together. And sometimes that calf will lay down with a full belly. And how many times have you guys seen it where the best calf? Usually gets full, he lays down, and then the smaller one of the two she takes off with because he's wiry. So I'll hobble two front legs together on those calves sometimes and just leave them for two or three days and then come back and take them off. Between that and the calf cradle, those are the coolest things. David, do you have a regimen you work with with your calves?
1: Yeah, it kind of depends on when we're calving. As I said earlier, we're mainly a summer calving outfit. So my kit's a lot more sparse for summer calving, everything's calving out on pasture. And and basically what I carry in my side-by-side, I've got a little rope that we fashioned into kind of like a uh, calf pulling chains. You know, sometimes I'll just happen upon a heifer that's having a little bit of difficulty. You know, she might wear herself out and uh, I play like a ninja <laughs> and sneak up behind her and I'll slip that rope on and and uh, get the calf out a little quicker. You know, this time of the year, it's cold uh, we've got a lot of snow on the ground. It's not feasible for us to calve out on pasture. So uh, we've got a quasi calving barn set up uh, where we'll bring those females in about 10 days before they're due to calve, a week to 10 days. And uh, we actually calve them right through that barn. And if we have multiples going at once, we've got small pens inside the barn. As soon as the calf hits the ground, we grab it, we've got a little sled, put the calf on the sled, drag it in. Cal usually follows and we'll keep them pinned, you know, until the calf gets dry, nursed, and uh, we'll get the calf tagged and out the door again and make room for the next pair. But, you know, so what I want to have close by at all times, and, and when we're getting ready to calve, you know, I will set up a kit. I'm going to have some OB chains in it with handles. I've got a small bucket to throw that in with chlorhexidine because I want to keep everything sanitary. You know, I'll carry exam gloves with me. Um, and also carry some old bee lube. You know, a lot of times uh, we can get into some of these heifers that need some help. You know, a little bit of lube there will kind of kind of grease the skids, if you will. And, and that calf will slide out a little easier. Now, um, I know a lot of folks, they use a come along or a jack. And quite frankly, most of us are not pulling that many calves. But uh, we've actually got a, a little rope and pulley system that works great. I think it's less stressful on the cow. Is certainly a lot safer than having a jack swinging around, pinning you against the fence, but it works extremely well. Once we get the calf out, try to have some frozen colostrum on hand. We've got a little freezer there in the, the calving room, but I like to have some frozen colostrum on hand. If I don't have that, I've got the uh, you know, the powdered kind that you mix up with water. Got an esophageal feeder for uh, getting that down the calf. Quite frankly, that's probably the most important piece of this. Once you get the calf out, is make sure that that calf gets colostrum. And if that calf's not up within an hour nursing the cow, you know, you need to get some colostrum down that calf because that will have long-term ramifications on that calf's health. And then after that, you know, we've got the standard tagger tag. We take all of our DNA samples at birth. So I've got that TSU vial that pulls the sample with the hole punched through the ear. And we do give two vaccines to every calf born here. We give the Enforce 3, which is an intranasal vaccine. And then we also give the calf guard, which is, by the way, that's a coronavirus vaccine. You know, it never hurts if you take a little bit of that yourself.
4: Gives it to himself as well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) David, I got to ask you a question after all of that. So if you don't have the rope and pulley system and you don't have a come along. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just get those chains hooked on and just hold on while that cow runs you around the pen? Or, or what else can you do there? Well, I'm going to tell you what. I would not
1: recommend that for everyone. I'm pretty lithe. I'm an athlete, <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know that. Yeah, sometimes sometimes those cows are quicker than we are. And it's hell to hang on, but uh, it can be done. And uh, <laughs> back, back to our vaccines. So those are the two vaccines i give. I know some people give a B-complex shot, an AD&E, multi-man. I, I don't screw with any of that. Keep it simple. Just like everything else I do, I, I try
4: to keep it simple. And this is just pure opinion, but, but on some of those multivitamins and some of those vitamin ad and I think you're much better off giving those shots at six six weeks to eight weeks old, whenever that calf's developed more and, and his system's kind of up and going. I think you're better off giving those shots then. Now, you can give them at birth or whatever, but To what benefit? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen, I I haven't seen much of a difference.
1: Yeah. I think, I think if your cows are on a good mineral program, it's probably not in your best interest to give those vitamin shots up front, but possibly the most important piece that I haven't touched on is a good weapon. (laughs) When I go to tag these calves and and I've got a system, I think a lot like Joe's, I've got a cradle that fits on the front of my side-by-side with a digital scale, but I always carry a weapon because some of these cows, quite frankly, you know, they've got a lot of maternal instinct. They've got a lot of hormones flowing. You know, we like to think that they know the difference between me and a flipping wolf or a coyote, but, you know, it's a pretty stressful time for mom. Just have a little stick there, a little sorting stick to tap her on the nose and let her know that we mean business. And I think that's really important. You need to have some way to keep yourself safe if you're not working with a uh, partner on this project. Kurt, I know you've calved a lot of cows in your day we
3: have quite a few cows, heifers and cows, both. And probably the, the, you know, you guys are right. You have the chains, but we actually used OB straps instead of chains with the OB straps, the nylon instead. Now it's a lot easier on those calves to, we had to pull them and we, we tried not to ever use a jack if we didn't have to, but if you're by yourself, you really don't have a choice, but we had a barn that was set up. We were primarily January, February calvers. So our bulk would come, you know, that we'd be calving right now in full force and kind of through the first part of February, full force. And so we were in pretty much the worst weather you could be in up here for being cold. So everything we had went through a barn, you know, tried not to calve anything outside at all. If the days were nice, the day crew would calve out on the hill, but all those calves would come in at night for the first 24 hours and then get kicked out and processed in the morning the day after they were born it was a good system it worked pretty well one guy could run the whole thing if he had to the day crew had four or five people there because they had a lot more chores to do especially when we're having our big runs getting you know 100 calves a day that barn needed to be cleaned all the time and that's the other you know if you are calving in a barn keep it clean you know get that lime down and, and try to keep the mud out and you know if you're get it ventilated. So you're not building up a lot of ammonia and stuff like that.
2: So Kurt, we'll get to your professional life a little bit later, but as far as calving is concerned and stuff, it seems like that barn thing, it's so foreign in California. You know that too, but it's gotta be such a huge vector for disease. What were you guys giving these calves in terms of vaccine and what was the regimen there? Or was there one just keep them dry, keep them clean and get them out? keep them dry, keep them clean,
3: get them out. we give them shots in the morning and get them gone, but we wouldn't use any iodine on navels or anything. And never had any issues with infections or anything like that. They were pretty hands-off. If the cows would do it on their own, we wouldn't mess them until morning when we tagged them. They needed some something needed pulled. We obviously put boluses in the cows that we pulled calves on just to get that to any infection that we might have caused, kind of tampered down. But really didn't have any any special process except that once, once an animal left the barn, it never, ever came back. So if we had a processing area outside where the calves would sit in pens until groups were made big enough to go out on pasture again, the calves didn't spend more than, you know, most longest one would spend 24 hours. And we got them out of the calving as quickly as possible within within three days when we're calving hard. Every, the calves that were born three days ago would be out on pasture. And if they got sick or something happened, no sick calf ever came back to the barn. We never used that barn for anything other than calving cows. So we didn't have any cross-contamination coming into it and had great success out of we'd run, you know, very, very high percentage calving rates out of there. I think one thing that a lot of people
1: uh, lose sight of, Kurt, you know, up here in the northern climate, you get a lot of calves that are born at once. Even once they get out to pasture, you know, folks will take some bedding out there and these calves will congregate on that bedding. What's going to be the result is usually scours. So I had uh, I faced a lot of scours early in my career. And I basically came up with a plan or a system that works extremely well. I think the most important piece to the scours problem is prevention. Yeah. So what I learned was number one, I mean, they make a great product. It's called Scourguard. You give it to the cow, give it to the heifer. That is a big assistance in avoiding problems for scours. And then also it's just that, uh, Uh, that sanitary management when they come through the barn. Got to come through. It's got to be a clean barn. And once those cattle leave the barn, we would always move that bedding. Keep those calves moved. Because if they lay on that bed for, you know, multiple days at a time, it becomes a breeding ground for disease. And if you can keep those calves spread out, keep that bedding fresh and keep it moved, your chances of getting scours goes down immensely. That would be my counsel to everyone out there. And now a word from our sponsor. Are you searching for semen from Balanced Strait Sires, which are different by design? If so, look no further than Montana Ranch. Seemen from Atlantis. Benchmark. Pathfinder. Outcross. Global. Can-Am and Revival is available for immediate shipment right to your front door by contacting David at 406-210-5605 or emailing bulls at com. Again, contact David at 406 or email bulls at Montana Ranch Angus.com. Now, back to the show. Kurt, give us some background. Where are you from?
3: Where did you grow up? Tell us your story. Well, I actually grew up in the Central Valley, California, north of Bakersfield, up in the foothills of Sierra. It's a town called Springville. Went to high school there, worked on some of the ranches down there that I was good friends with and didn't do for a long time and went to Montana State, which had a rough weekend last weekend, (laughs) but great time there. Great university, had a great experience there and just kind of got done college and kind of had to do whatever I could do to make a living. So I was working for a company had a small group of cows and was doing range veg management for a couple of different big ranches around the Gallatin Valley and over in the Madison Valley. And just kind of, you know, we do control burns and we do weed management we do grazing recommendations and kind of whatever the, they wanted in the winter time once fall rolled around, we kind of, that business would kind of die down. So I actually guided elk hunting up in what used to be right outside the park, which was an unlimited area, but had, you know, great experience until the wolves came in that kind of took care of the elk hunting up there. And in the wintertime, there's really nothing going on and, uh, had an opportunity through my, the boss that I worked with going to school with some folks that I Start working on one of the ranches up in central Montana in Hobson and uh, started working up there and, and had a great experience up there and wound up just spending more time up at the ranch and less time going out on those other ranches in the summer doing management and just wound up working up there full time and stayed there until we sold the ranch in 2010 or dispersed the cows in 2010, sold the ground in Hobson up there. Went to California and helped out some folks down there that I knew that needed some assistance with trying to transition with new people coming in in an old family structure system. They weren't family. They were big farming operations, but they wanted to kind of plug me in in spots that they saw they could have issues. And so I did that for a year until Logan quit the association, went to work for WLJ, and then I got the job with Angus in California. And as soon as I could get back to Montana, I came back up here. And the rest, as they say, is, is history.
2: Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a The minute, man minute. is a genius. <laughs> you enjoyed your time in California. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. No, I, I, I mean, come on. You just glazed right over that. And you forgot maybe one of the most pivotal points of your life was when you came and toured the big Bruin operation. Why don't you tell <laughs> us what that was like?
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, California, I do still have a lot of friends there. I still sell bowls into there for people up here when they give me orders down there. You know, I like the producers down there, had a great time, learned a ton that just kind of helped me ease into the job up here a little easier.
2: And Kurt, um, I always laugh because you tell the story and and I'm going to put you on the spot now. Uh You changed the way I think about regional managers. I mean, uh, you were the first regional manager to really step foot on my place. Do you remember what I said to you the first time you showed up? I have no idea. I said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, I, I thought you were going to make me start gathering cows and checking tattoos and looking for illegal white. Yeah, as long um, as
3: they don't shut up in a white man, you <laughs>
2: <laughs> No, we had a heck of a time and I sure enjoyed having you here. You know, what about some of the parallels and some of the differences of California and Montana? I think that's one of the most unique things that we've seen you've had tons of opportunity to go tons of places and you've chose to stay as a regional manager. I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I I would say as a friend and as a colleague in the business, it's because you have a heart of service and you enjoy helping people. So uh, just quickly talk about helping some of these producers, talk about some of the similarities in these different environments and running cattle and the people and just all the parts that really draw you to being a regional manager.
3: Yeah, really the people, it doesn't matter really where you go. But my experience is, is that whether they're commercial or registered, the people are all great people. I, mean, I have very few issues with anybody that everybody's always very welcoming, very reassuring. And that made it easy, especially when you start off in this thing. It's a big shock to take a job as a regional manager and everybody tells you you're going to spend you know, 90 days at home and the rest of the time you're going to be on the road. I think that everybody gets a job like, well, it won't be that much. But it is that much. I mean, that you guys' region has a turnover rate that's higher than normal. That's probably a lot to do with the amount of time on the road, but. You know, the similarities in the cattle that, you know, we are primarily a commercially focused area, probably more than more than other regions in the nation where these guys make their living selling registered cows. And that's all that they really have going on. It's not like other places where there's a bunch of other industries around to help, especially in Montana. We are kind of on our own up here. We don't have a lot of extra inputs that these guys can latch on to. The fun part is coming up on, geez, I believe it's 10 years now I've been working for the association, that you know, the technology that's changed in the way that people market cattle and the ability for producers to represent themselves on different platforms, whether it's social media or podcasts or whatever, that's you know, those changes almost unheard of when, when I started this. This was, you know, social media was pretty young. I think I just got a Facebook page probably about eight months before I started a job at the association because my cousin talked me into doing it because she thought it'd be funny. <laughs> And so, you know, watching that technology change and, and that has been probably one of the more interesting things that I've I've seen happen for my intern here. Obviously, the cows, the cows have been, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in California, Montana, people are raising great cows right now. The grass types are different in California, obviously, than they are up here. The drought conditions in California, you know, we talk about a drought up here and it's been some really bad this year. There's no question about last two years, quite honestly. But you guys in California go through drought every, what, 25 minutes? Or the third, it just it's, it's our way of life. Yeah, it's our way of life. It's your way of life. You guys are much more accustomed to that drought structure. And I, I was talking to some friends at market cattle down there, and as one of the big producers, commercial producers down there, and he was waylaying bred heifers this fall, and everybody, you know, Jesus, there's no rain, there's no grass, there's no anything. Then my buddy told me that he said he goes, yeah, he goes, the guy just flat said he goes, I don't, I can't bank on it not raining again that doesn't work because if it does rain, I can't afford to get back in. That's right. And so he turned out that he was a genius move for him and he'll probably be in pretty good shape here this coming marketing season. You know, it's, it's been a real pleasure working for the association. It's been lots of fun and obviously great people to work with. The current staff is phenomenal and, and really good people. And the RM crew is a great crew, guys too. So Kurt, you do spend a lot of time on the road. There's no question.
1: I call you regularly. And if you're not working, you know, an Angus sale, bull sale, a lot of times you're at these video sales, uh, Superior Northern. What, today? Weren't you at the Diamond Ring sale or was that yesterday? On Monday. That was on Monday. Monday. Okay. Yeah. yeah my days run together. But, and then tonight you're up in Northern Montana getting ready for a bull sale tomorrow. You're a guy that's always on the move. Yeah. I think it takes a special person, a special type of person to really embrace that and enjoy it. You seem to be that type for certain. Walk us through. So what's a typical year for you? Just, I don't want to hear about every sale, but you know, what's, uh, you know, what's the calendar changes? I know in a lot of parts of the country, there's not much going on in January. February is usually pretty slow. And in March, it'll pick up, but that's not necessarily the case for you working in this region here in Montana and Wyoming.
3: Tell us what that looks like. You start with the fall sale season because that's easy to just start on the fiscal year. And so starting in October, obviously, we have a lot of female sales that go on. In October, we have the Nile up here, which is our big cattle show for the region. And you know, I can throw in September because essentially it's the start of the whole thing. We start off in that September with the Montana Angus Tour. And that's a great event that the state of Montana's put on for, shoot, I think it's, we're coming up on 50 years here pretty quick. But it's been a long time that we've been doing this, the tour, and that takes a lot of preparation. So the early fall is dedicated to doing that. And making sure everybody's lined out, we got buses and everything else. That all the challenges, road construction up here. That you know, if it's not snowing, we're doing road construction. And then we get into that October run, where it is it's it's mainly female sales. First part of November. Now we got the Angus conference that lasts you know five days, and then we start right off with bull sales as soon as we get done with that. And bull sales last really until the end of uh, middle of December, right before Christmas, a week before we shut down. And then used to be January, we'd get a little bit of chunk off. But obviously we got Denver, Oklahoma City that goes on now, the first part of January, but our bull sales now are starting earlier and earlier. We had one last Saturday was the first one in the region, and we won't stop really having bull sales until first part of May. So that takes up the big bulk of springtime and a lot of miles in between and the days, you know, early when we're not selling bulls. I'm trying to get around to look at bulls. And so today before this bull sales up, looking at some different bulls that we're gonna sell later in the year up here. And just trying to get an eye on things and see what's out there. Yeah. Then springtime rolls into video sales season, and you know, members have questions going out and visiting with those members about questions and issues they might have, but then going start the video sales and you know, the Angus Link process. We have a lot of Angus Link cattle up here, a lot of producers that are in the Angus Link programs, which are the NHTC Never Ever programs. And so I do a lot of those audits. I'll do in the summertime, I'll do 60, 67, 75 audits a year chews up a lot of time, a lot of miles on the road, and that's just my region. And then, you know, just kind of like I mentioned before, roll into September and go right off again. So it chews up a lot of time, and there's state fairs in there to go to and, you know, events to be at, stock growers and regional stock growers and and different meetings that we have scattered out in there. So, yeah, it makes it pretty full.
1: It does, and I think what a lot of people don't have an appreciation for is just the vastness of this area. For instance, you might have a cell over here in Western Montana on one day, and then the next day you've got a cell in Eastern Montana, which, which is about seven, eight hours away. And so a lot of times you're driving well into the night to get over to the next cell or, or even down into Wyoming. I mean, good grief, that's a
3: huge area. We just we got lucky this fall. We didn't have any bad roads because there wasn't any storm until after Celsius got over. Yeah, the weather, yeah. There are years, and the roads get pretty pretty treacherous and we get to every sale. I haven't missed one yet. Knock on, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah.
1: Knock on wood. That's great. And uh, I think the other thing that a lot of people don't appreciate, I really didn't until I moved to Montana, but you get into say March, there is a bull sale every day of the month, except for Sunday. Yep. Every day. So in March, Kurt and all of his traveling companions, as I call them, they don't get many days off. And I want to talk about your traveling companions a little bit. I've come to uh, become friends with a lot of them, and, and I watch you guys go to, from cell to cell to sale, sell and, and you guys have such a great relationship, or at least it appears that way on the surface. And you have a great interaction with each of them, especially the auctioneers, Joe and, and Roger. And... Uh, I know Joe likes to poke a lot of fun at you. He talks a lot about your
3: social life. <laughs> yes, yes. He, he keeps everybody well-informed of what I'm, what I'm doing. And he's always very curious as to what's going on. And I, I try to keep his information stream to a minimum. Yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He likes to he likes to stir it up a little bit. But
1: no, that's great. And you touched on it earlier. You said something about social media. And to the best of my knowledge, I mean, you're one of the first regional managers who really embrace social media. We get to see what's going on at every sale that you're at, or most every sale, because you're able to hook in and give a a live feed through Facebook Live, and that's a lot of fun for folks. I get calls all the time from uh, folks on the East Coast. They said, you know, you guys have the greatest regional manager because we can watch every single sale.
3: I wouldn't say I'm the greatest. And all those guys out there, the regional managers doing a great job in their respective regions. The Facebook live part just was fun for me to do just because I know a lot of guys and I was there sitting in a tractor and you wonder what a bull sale was doing when you're out feeding or something or sitting in the calving barn. And I I always thought this would have been a great show to put on from a calving barn to have a podcast or this was before a podcast when I was there. I hate to age myself, but I guess that's kind of the road I'm in now as, (laughs) as I'm coming on 50. But it's been fun to do that. and Obviously, Montana sets itself up so well for taking pictures. I mean, it's just most nights a Charlie Russell painting, unless it's blizzard out, it just sets itself up to be a good social media area that nothing looks the same. You can be in Eastern Montana one day and then in, you know, Central Montana down to Western Montana up to you know Northwestern Montana up on the high line and everything's, everything's different. So it's fun to show those pictures to people. And I, I guess that while I have a lot of people that follow me in Montana, that a lot of the people aren't, and they just like to see what this place looks like. Just don't move here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd certainly seen
1: it. Kurt, I also want to touch on this, and this is what goes unnoticed or unknown by a lot of folks. And I've worked with a number of regional managers over the years in different parts of the country. But what I really like working with you for is I can call you and bounce an idea off you. It might be marketing related, it might be management related, but you're a guy that gets out, sees a lot, does a lot, and you're never afraid to share an opinion. And for that, I appreciate you. You have been instrumental in uh, helping us reshape here at Montana Ranch our print media print advertising strategy. It's really refreshing. Let's tell it like it is. You're also an ad salesman, okay? Yeah, it pays the way. <laughs> it, it pays the way, but you come at it from a very logical standpoint. I mean, it's it's easy to talk to a lot of these publication representatives. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, you need to do this. You need to do that. Get as many ads out as you can. But you approach it from a strategic standpoint. Can you give us a little insight? Where does that come from? Is it from experience or or just all these hours in the car you're thinking?
3: Well, there'd, there'd be a lot of hours in the car thinking that goes into this. And the bad ideas are numerous, trust me. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, it goes, I think it goes back to a lot of my background and, and coming off the ranch that I was on that, you know, seeing one side of it and then being on this side of it. But I see a lot of the challenges. I, I've experienced a lot of the challenges. When I look at somebody's advertising, I, I want them to have the most impactful way of advertising or method of advertising possible. And I just think the doors are opening up. There's so many options out there now. It's It's fun to think about different ways people can do things. And how to impact what's going to be best for your sale. You know, with our publications, it's been a it's been a great year for the folks up here because it gets their ads outside of the state of Montana, outside of Wyoming, outside of the drought area, which is crucial. And I, I hope a lot of people had a good good run with it. I think our bull sales this year indicated it was a very successful year for or fall at least for uh, selling bulls up here. But marketing is it's one of those things that you. Yeah, you're driving down the road and you got to think of something while we'll listening to Pearl Jam or Soundgarden. <laughs> These is where the ideas come across. Soundgarden. <laughs> I think there's
1: only one thing that would keep you away from uh, an Angus sale, and that might be a Pearl Jam concert.
3: There's been some times when it's been close. <laughs> and
1: then COVID came. I needed to go to the show. Or a Bobcat football game, huh? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about the Bobcat football game. But, <laughs> but let's do talk about one thing with MSU, Montana State University. And this is something I'm trying to learn more about. I live here, and I I don't know a ton about it. But they're starting up an Angus herd, a teaching herd, there, correct? Yes, they are. And it is basically started with donations from uh, Angus breeders throughout the state of live
3: live cattle, embryos. Seen. Where are they at with this? So they've got the herd now, where they don't need more donations. They're looking at getting the herd up to probably right around 200 head, and they're going to. We gave them, I think, when we got done with the donations of everything for the two years, that we were at 80 something head and so it has its lumps that it's yeah. gone through just like any new startup program but you know the university's been running cows up at the red bluff station for a long long time and that's where those cows are so they're out on range ground they're not baby they're not pampered they're not in the gallatin valley and you know tim del came on i don't even know when tim came on how long ago that was That all these dates get fuzzy in my head But, you know, Tim came on and has done a great job reaching out to the Angus breeders and mending what was a a pretty substantial gap that exists, a chasm that the breeders weren't very happy with the university. And that didn't reflect well, but Tim's done a good job bringing everybody back into the fold and helping out quite a bit and getting this Angus herd that they're using for not only educational purposes with the students, but are looking to do some research projects going down the road that could be pretty interesting. It it opens the door for for grants and stuff like that for the university to access. That's pretty good. They got a foot research deal that they're doing right now. That's been pretty fun to watch that develop. They're actually going to have students going out and helping foot score cattle on ranches that don't feel comfortable or just need the extra help. that don't have the time to foot score cattle. And you look at the past year's data, Montana was number one for foot score submissions. We're looking to probably, I think we're at 3,500 or 4,000, somewhere right around in there. And we're looking to try to make it at least 6,000, 9,000 head this next year. I've tried to get you to come up and hoof score forever. Uh, Yeah.
4: And you always turn me down. I got to sell you an
2: ad, Dave.
3: My man calls it like it is. Yeah, I don't mind helping people learn how to do that stuff. But at the end of the day, it doesn't help my position. You know, you make the wrong call on a cow that you could make some enemies pretty quick. I would never get offended. You know me better than that. <laughs>
4: Speaking of making the wrong calls, I'm going to put you on the spot. This is going to be a very tough predicament for you. But at the beginning of this podcast, you said you were going to be transparent. So I'm going to test that whenever I ask this question.
3: You're going to use the word transparent.
4: So... It seems like there's been a dramatic shift from the type of cattle that has started becoming part of the mainstream. I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this. It seems like we're starting to chase these dollar numbers and our audience is going to be okay with this question, but I, I want to phrase this in a way that's comfortable for you. But what have you noticed as being the main difference between what we're chasing now in 2022, as opposed to what we were chasing you can take it as far back to 2010, whenever you started, or you can take it back even further is, is when I feel like the most dramatic shift came. Well, but what is the main difference between what we, what this Angus business as a whole is doing now compared to then?
3: No, I wouldn't comment on the whole. I'd, I'd talk regionally. and I pulled the data for the top bulls that we sold in the region, and that'd be anybody's top bulls. So anything that made a sale report, I could go back and look at those EPDs. And if you come to sales in Montana, we don't talk about numbers very much up here. It's not a, whether in springtime, we talk calving ease in fall, we talk weaning weights. And that's probably the biggest thing that we really worry about. And, you know, if these guys up here are paid to wean calves and they're paid to wean big ones is what people want, what the feeding industry seems to want. You look at that run that they have in the Judith Basin in the summertime sales and, you know, those cattle out of there, you know, they're all 700, 800 pound calves coming off the cow. This year is obviously a little bit different with the drought but this right, I can only speak to this region because it's the one that I know the best, that I can look at the EPD profiles and we don't really chase anything up here. We don't hear Joe or any of the auctioneers out there really pumping up a number or really getting after you know dollar values or indices or anything like that. we We really haven't utilized that. Well, that's just the path this region has taken that we are nowhere near the top for the dollar values. Praise you for that. We really don't talk about it much the sales. I don't get a lot of calls on them at the sales. So the, what they worry about is weaning weight. They worry about birth weight to an extent, uh, calving. He's obviously in the springtime becomes a bigger issue, but in the fall, we can sell low CED bulls up here. I mean, those are almost all of our high sellers are low CED bulls up here. That's a good point. Big power bulls.
4: Are you listening Oklahoma? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, that's
1: a good point. Kurt brought up. And we saw that when we switched from a spring sell to a fall sell here. It was actually liberating in our breeding program because we didn't have to lean so heavily on using calving ease, low birth weight bulls. We could kind of power up and uh, use a little more birth weight because quite frankly, people are already, they're buying older bulls. They're going to be even older when they get turned out. A lot of them will be two-year-olds in the spring. So they're not buying them to use on heifers. They're going to kick them out on cows. I really saw our herd improve when we shifted our sale to the fall because it, it changed our breeding strategy. So that's a great point you brought up there, Kurt. And, and quite frankly, what we are seeing, you know, I get a lot of questions. What do our customers look for? And it's actually quite simple. A lot of them are looking at the weaning weight of those bulls. You can go right down the line and evaluate the bull's weaning weight versus what he brought in the sale. The bull's at way over seven at two o five bring a premium over those that
3: might weigh 650, 670. So guys are really looking for performance there. Yeah, there's no question about that. And this has been an interesting fall. Looking back at the price histories that we've had up here, you know, there's years where the two-year-olds don't do very well, that they, they average substantially less than the bull calves. You know, this year would be an exception that the two-year-olds average 6460 and the bull calves only average 5307. I say only, I, I'm well aware that's a lot of money. But uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting to watch that flip-flop by almost $1,000. If you could see that within $200, you might call it an anomaly. But mm-hmm. I think that with this drought, that people have really put some thought into maybe those younger bulls had a harder time getting going when they got to their ranch. And there's probably more demand outside of the state than outside of the region for our two-year-olds. And well, Joe, you see it every year down in California. You guys sell almost all Mature bulls, and you guys have heck of a sale down there every year. Down all those ranches down
2: there, we've seen it in a drought year. It's it's almost like I think folks like you, Kurt, and then uh, folks on the cutting edge of of working with people to increase their marketing clout within their region have found that folks want to buy a bull every year. They just want to. It's like normal. It's just like yeah. buying hay, or it's just like turning out in the springtime in Montana, or turning out in the fall in California. It's it's. Is just part of your production cycle. And so instead of guys, if they have to cut back on cow numbers, they might consolidate and they buy one big bull to turn out with 35 cows. Whereas before they buy these yearling bulls to kind of be, a, I don't know, he's almost a bull in training, right? He's hanging out with the mature bulls. You bring him back, you really take care of him. And then he is ready to fit, hit his full stride as a coming two-year-old bull. So no, in drought years, big demand for the big bulls, it seems. And you guys are right. It's the same here. I mean, if you have yearling bulls, you probably want to make sure they're Cavanese. and if you have two-year-olds, you want them to be power bulls because they're going to service mostly mature cows. So we we see the same. Kurt, one question I want to ask you, and I'm not sure this happens. I don't I don't know, but if they sit you down in the room at St. Joe and they say, "Okay, um, congratulations, you got the job," or or maybe they're mapping out what the job looks like. What is the role of a regional manager? And then let me. Ask you a follow up beyond that because I think I know what you're going to answer. What do you do? <laughs> it's it fly fish and ski, <laughs> right? And
4: football. I was going to ask him what his hobbies were because it seems like he's on the road all the time. But but go
3: ahead. The role of regional manager primarily is to assist the breeders in the region in any questions that they have, and i, I the range of questions are substantial. You guys all know that the knowledge base is from the very beginning type people all the way up to the guys up here. We have a very old group of breeders up here. Not old, and hope nobody takes offense to me saying that about them. But no, you're old.
2: It's okay. Our
3: (laughs) our ranches are, you know, most of our sales are 35 year minimum sales that they've been around that long. You know, those guys, they they know what they're doing. They don't have a lot of a lot of questions, but a lot of those guys do call up just to visit, see what's going on. I get more market report questions than just about anything, especially in the summertime for the video sales and whatnot that we're when we're selling those feeder calves. Just so guys kind of have a feeling how their customers are doing. You know, obviously helping commercial breeders out and questions that they might have. Some of those EPDs are pretty daunting to them on how to read those and, you know, what do they mean and giving them guidelines on breed heifers. You might want to look at doing this. If you're looking at breed cows, you might want to be doing this. There's younger guys coming up that understand the EPDs very well. There's guys that don't. I always tell everybody that, you know, you start with phenotype first and then look at the numbers. That's the easiest way to evaluate the cattle. And then just kind of as an industry relations person, I would say that, you know, dealing with the universities or not dealing with the universities, helping the universities. I, I enjoy my work with Montana State so much. It's a good group of people there. That's been a real treat for me to be able to do that. It varies region to region. We don't have a huge show network up here like some regions do, where they, you know, there's regional managers that, shoot, they probably go to as many cow shows as I go to bull sales. And, you know, that's that's what their region bases their, their herds on. So it's just getting around and visiting people, being social, being seen. When I got the job with Angus, they gave me the keys to the car. I went in for the meetings to start with and, you know, kind of get an idea and a feel for the association. I was fortunate that I also got to go to CAB very quickly and, and go to CAB and, and they already had, they had the culinary center was built already. So I can honestly say that I I am Not that old. And then went out and uh, took the car from St. Joe up to the Dakotas and rode around with the regional manager up there for four days and then kind of hopscotched around and got real lucky when I got to California that the past regional manager there and, and the past regional managers there. With John and, and Logan were just so so welcoming and so easy to work with. They helped out a ton getting going and getting my feet underneath me. But then just, you know, watching, going up and watching Idaho a couple of times and just trying to get get the feel for what everybody else does. And so I spent quite a lot of time when I started with the association, just being in other people's regions, kind of riding around with the other regional managers, which helped out quite a bit.
2: It's interesting you say that. I mean, that's how I would have characterized it, right? You're a resource to breeders, and I think that you look on the chat boards, or you look at, you can find problems with every structure, right? Somebody has a problem, and people just like being unsettled and pissed off about something, to be frank. But where I really started seeing the value of a regional manager is when I chose to pick up the phone and develop relationships with them. Kurt, you know, I mean, because we're good friends and friends with Logan, friends with John D. That all started with just reaching out to those guys. And they said, how can we help? And um, we've always tried to help back when it comes to advertising and things like that. But that's uh, you guys are the the communication arm and conduit to the American Angus Association. You're the boots on the ground. And, and I would encourage folks to you know, If you think you have problems with underrepresentation of a regional manager, probably ought to do a gut check and say, hey, have I picked up the phone and, and just tried to meet with this person to, to see how they can help me or how I can develop a relationship with them because it's been really fruitful for us. Makes me really think about things a little bit more holistically. And maybe, maybe my... I, I'm sorry. I haven't been to the Southeast or the Midwest and had those relationships. I just experienced what I have had here. Which has been just awesome and lifelong friends that I can trust, and and on that front, we are friends, dear friends, and and uh, I've reached out to you from time to time. Would you say when you get a call for an order at a sale, is it typically a commercial guy or is it a purebred guy? And then what do those selection criteria look like?
3: Oh, it depends. You know, probably it's it's an even split at the end of the season. That you know, obviously in the springtime when we're selling those herd sires, that whether it's the semen companies or somebody else wants to latch to, the conversations can be pretty exact when it comes to the registered guys. The commercial breeders are generally a little bit easier to go pick those cattle out for because they give you a range and they say, this is what I want and this is my price. There's not a lot of wiggle room in the pricing for some of those guys and other guys. There's huge wiggle room. You know, the registered side, you never know whether your guy's going to spend $5,000 or you're going to spend $55,000. I'd say that it's a pretty even split at the end of the day for who calls and, and why they call some guys get pinched and they find out they're running short of bulls. And so then the commercial, the commercial guy calls and said, Hey, I need you to get, give me five, six bulls here in the next couple of sales. Or, you know, up here, the reality is, is that, you know, I think it was two years ago when he had the big snowstorms up here or two winters ago and guys literally getting stuck on their way to the sales, stuck in snowdrifts saying, We're not going to make it. You know, we're hoping to get out of the snowdrift by the time the sales over, let alone get to town. And so, you know, that that's kind of where we kind of step in and pinch hit for those guys and, and try to pick them up what they want. But the nice part is up here, I know a lot of those commercial guys, I know what
2: kind of bulls they buy. And on the relationship side, I'd say the same with the purebred deal. The last bull I bought in Montana was because you said, hey, I found a pedigree that you're going to like. I found a type that you're going to like. You got to think about getting a plane ticket and coming up here. And I did and bought a bull. And I mean, it's nice to have those relationships. It's nice to have that trust. And really, I'd encourage a lot of folks who haven't reached out to their regional manager to do the same for sure.
3: It's a great group of guys that are regional managers out there. And I I would say this, pick up the phone and call. And if we're at a sale or something, obviously won't answer, but we try to get back to people quickly. If our mailboxes are full a lot, leave a text message. Just, you know, send a text message to us. Hey, want to talk to you. This is so-and-so. And we, I get back to people as quick as I can. And, you know, it might be nine o'clock at night. But, you know, we, we try to get back to people as quickly as we can. And obviously, email works well, too.
1: Would you like to join the Underground as a sponsor? Let Angus Underground bring your product or event to our large and loyal following. For information on how you can become a sponsor, contact us at 406- or AngusUnderground at yahoo.com. Again, 406-210-1366 or AngusUnderground at yahoo.com. There's no doubt, Kurt, you're a true professional. And uh, we here in Montana are blessed to have you. And we certainly appreciate the time that you spent with us tonight. It's outstanding. And uh, while you're there in Glasgow, Montana, I do urge you to go check out that Mocha It's special. (laughs) I do like good (laughs) Mexican food. There's no question about it. Thank you again, Kurt. We loved having you on. We'll look forward to having you on again soon.
3: All right. Sounds good, guys. Thank you.
0: This episode of Angus Underground was brought to you in part by Montana Ranch the source for balanced trade Angus, which are different by design. If you love this episode, head over to where you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, check us out on social media, where you can interact with us and to suggest subjects that you'd like us to cover on upcoming episodes.